Welcome, NEC Hoops fans. It is the NEC On The Run Hoops podcast. My name is Ron Radner. I'm joined by Ryan Peters, our NEC Overtime blog writer. And Ryan, we had a lot to chew on this week. We're six weeks deep into NEC play, just three to go before the postseason. We had some movement in the standings last week. And for our opening three-point shot, I know we're going to focus on the three teams that came up with sweeps last week. Yeah, let's start with Stonehill. They now sit in first place with five games remaining in their schedule after convincing victories at home against St. Francis University and then on the road against St. Francis Brooklyn. And they held both their opponents under a point per possession. This defense is now second best in the league in terms of efficiency. I don't think anyone expected Chris Krause's group to be in that kind of position. And you know, they're just, they're playing so well. Isaiah Burnett had 10 steals over the weekend in the past two games. Zegarowski averaged 15 points a game. Sims, 16 and a half points per game. They shot an efficient 14 of 33 from deep. They had a positive assist to turnover ratio. Quite simply, Stonehill is just, they're not beating themselves. They're playing really good, sound, efficient basketball. And it's why they're eight and three right now. Yeah, let me point out, I was at the Stonehill game on Thursday. I caught the second half of that game. And let me tell you, the crowd is into it. It is a home court advantage uh, at Murkett Gymnasium. And watching someone, you mentioned Isaiah Burnett, and I just really enjoyed watching him play defense and seeing, we talked to him a couple of weeks ago, um, how much of an impact does he have in what they've been able to do on defense in the last couple of weeks. I mean, you don't really have a lot of guys in that team who could hunt steals, but Burnett, Burnett absolutely could do that. He's had a bunch of pick sixes and he just changes that team defensively because typically Chris Krause's team, they, they like to stay in front of you. They like to force tough shots. They have good length one, two, and three at those positions. And also with the four and the five as well with Sims and Zagorowski for the most part, but Burnett gives you that opportunity to get that turnover, to get out, in that live ball transition opportunity and, and get easy buckets. Cause you know, in the half court, it's a little bit difficult for, for Northeast conference teams to score. So to get those turnovers and get out and transition and score easily is definitely something that Stonehill values. Yeah. And I think their court spacing is really good with all the shooters they have with Zegarowski and Shamir Johnson and Josh Mack. Sometimes it leaves that open uh, the middle open for Andrew Sims to do his magic down on the post. And Burnett to slash, right? To get yep. to get downhill yep. off the dribble. He's really good at that too. Like you said, the shooters really open up this offense. I, I alluded to that a lot in the, the blog post about Stonehill. I'm glad I didn't jinx him, by the way. I, I wrote it. <laughs> they're 2-0 and after the post. So take that, you know, take that jinx. But yeah, no, they're, they have the veteran leadership right now. They're just really, they're really set. They're set up really well. And it's no surprise after I've seen them over 11 league games, why they're in this position. All right, we have to go to your alma mater now, Sacred Heart. Two and O week, now back over 500, six and five, right in the mix. Like the number one seed is not far out of reach for the Pioneers right now. Yeah, you got to give them credit because, you know, they, they look like they were close to dead at four and five. They lost three in a row. They've had injuries all throughout the season. But as Anthony Latino would remind anyone, injuries are just an excuse. Like no one cares if you have injuries. And they found a way to win, you know, uh, knocking off Wagner in Central Connecticut. You know, in my opinion, those were like two of the top four victories of the season in terms of how well they played. And most impressive is they only had 19 turnovers in the two games versus 28 assists. So without uh, McGuire, they've still taken care of the basketball and uh, also punishing their opponent 
opponents down low. 62% of their two-point shots were made against Central Connecticut and Wagner. And Nico Gallette, you know, when you need it in the clutch against Wagner, hits that crazy fadeaway along the baseline to give them to maintain that lead. And then that step back three pointer with the shot clock winding down under the fight in the final minute of that game, that was the dagger for, for sacred heart. So good, efficient play, but also getting some really good clutch play from their star Nico Gallette. Yeah. He's been, he's been amazing. He's done that a few times this year. He, you could see it, you know, he has that look in his eye where I'm, I'm taking this ball and I'm shooting this ball. and I'm going to make this shot. One other player I wanted to touch on was Bryce Johnson, who's really stepped up in the last couple of weeks. What has he, he been able to bring to the table for Sacred Heart? Yeah, well, actually, we're going to get to him as well in the heat check. But, yeah, he's just versatile. And he's been, as Anthony Latino calls him, a warrior. He just he shows up every game. It looked like he hurt his shoulder early in that Central Connecticut game, but he came, he went right back in there, played 30-plus minutes. And he just gives him so much versatility, rebounding, passing, uh, you know, slashing, breaking opponents down off the dribble. He's been invaluable with Sacred Heart. All right, let's turn our attention to Merrimack. The preseason favorites are on fire right now. Another team I got to catch play in, our, in their CBS game against LIU at Lawler Rink. What a, what a place that's, you know, when you're playing there and they have light shows and the production's unbelievable and a giant scoreboard and the place is packed with the band. Another great home court advantage. Merrimack seems to be firing on all cylinders and resembling what we thought they were going to be when the year started. And I think it just needed, they needed time for their newcomers to kind of adjust, especially offensively. Defensively, they've been the same team all season. They've been very good, but Merrimack had a brutally difficult non-conference schedule. Even teams that they thought would be uh, games where they could potentially win turned out to have, they're having above average seasons, those teams. So just been a very difficult schedule. Miner was out for all of the month of November, but he's rolling now 43 points, 21 rebounds, seven blocks in those two wins against LIU and St. Francis University. And then we're going to mention him later, but Ziggy Reed, he's starting to cook now, you know, as he does in February, he's been a, a great versatile scorer for Joe Gallo. And like I mentioned before, Bennett, Dirk Hack, you know, Stinson, Savage, these guys are starting to play up to their ability level, especially in offense. And that's led to more wins for Merrimack. Do you think at this point of the year with all the minutes they're getting that Bennett and Dirk Hack, they're just not freshmen anymore? No, absolutely not. Because, you know, they had to play early in the year. They had to play 25 minutes a game. And yeah, you're right. They they actually, um, they kind of exude that kind of veteran presence on the floor, despite the, the freshman classification. All right, there it goes. Our three-point shot, Stonehill, Sacred Heart, and Merrimack, all 2-0 and last week. Now it's time for our NEC open mic, and we are excited to welcome in NEC player of the week, senior Jordan Miner. Jordan, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. All right, Jordan, let me get us going here while we have you. Uh, Merrimack really starting to roll right now. You've won four or five, six and eight, climbing up the standings. Uh, your defensive efficiency has been off the charts, uh, as, as was expected for your team. What have been the what do you think have been the keys to this recent uptick and, you know, your success lately? Um, I think defensively, I mean. When we were struggling, defense was always was still there. I think we were playing great defense there. I think the offense needed um, a little bit, you know, better scoring and better efficiency for us. And, you know, as of recently, we've been playing better. We've been sharing the ball a lot. 
better. And I think that's, you know, what showed, you know, especially in our wins we, as of late. So I think we've just been passing the ball extremely well, been looking for our guys, trying to get others involved a little bit more. And I think that's been showing. So I think we got to keep doing a little bit more of that. So, but we're, right now we're on a good track, so. And Jordan, you're, you know, your four years have been tremendous, but I'm looking at your assist rate, you know, for a six, eight center to have an assist rate north of 20% is pretty impressive. Um, has that always been in your game, the ability to pass and find teammates? Or is that something that you and the Merrimack coaching staff have really worked on knowing that you're now the focal point of all these defensive scouting reports? I think I've always had, you know, um, good touch, especially freshman year. I would have, you know, a couple uh, passes here and there. Um, I think my sophomore year, my junior year was when, you know, me and Phil Gaetano, we actually uh, really kind of honed in on, you know, passing the ball a little bit more, especially now, you know, this year. Uh, with doubles and stuff, kind of just making the right reads and the right plays and, you know, trying to find my guys and get them open shots. And that just ultimately opens up the floor for me. So I think um, for me, it's just been about making the right play uh, at the right time, whether that's passing or scoring. So, Yeah, Phil Gaetano is the right guy. Obviously, Sacred Heart's all-time leading assist uh, yeah. maker for sure. I have to ask, though, because I was at the Wagner-Merrimack game, the, the game you guys won in Staten Island. You had a couple of dimes that were really pretty, especially in the high post, a couple of backdoor cuts. But one in particular, and I'll challenge our producer, Kyle, to, to pull this up. You did you did this to the sideline after you yeah. made the assist. Is that, <laughs> you know, is that is that goggles or those binoculars? Yeah. You saw the yeah, play the from afar. Is that from John Morant? <laughs> I really need to know. You know, Ron and I do a deep dive in this interview. I really got to know the, <laughs> what this is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the goggles. It's the goggles when you uh, find an open teammate or or you just make an exceptionally nice pass. I think it was either uh, a pass to uh, Ziggy for a dunk. I think I think that play was. But yeah, I just was I think I was feeling it that game uh, with my pass and finding my teammates. And, you know, when you pass the ball and they score, your teammates score, it kind of gives you that juice, that energy. So it was a good feeling. Jordan, early in the year, if you look back to November, December, the team struggled a bit. Some adversity. Uh, you're out for some games. Very difficult non-conference schedule. You're trying to integrate some new pieces into your backcourt. Um, how are you able to weather the storm and stay focused on on the goal at hand? Uh, probably was not easy. Yeah, um, I think for me as a player and then as a program, it wasn't easy at all, especially, you know, with the high expectations that we had coming into the season. But I think a focal point for us was embracing uh, the hard times, embracing the struggle. So, you know, we didn't start off the way we wanted to, kind of went to the drawing board, but we didn't hang our heads down or kind of get discouraged. We just kept trying to figure out what we can do better, what we can, what we can do next. So I think for us, it was just embracing, you know, that struggle, those hard times and knowing that, you know, we are better than what we are going through right now and we are going to get to where we want to be, so. I mentioned the assist rate, but another maturation of your game is you're now drawing fouls at an incredible level, a career best 6.9 fouls for 40 minutes per Ken Palm. I just have to know, are you sore? Are you bruised up after these games? Like, how are you staying fresh amid all this hard contact? And the fact that you're a center, you're playing 86% of the team's minutes in league play. That is atypical for a center. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel I feel good, especially today. I feel good. We had a light day today, but um, you know we take pride um, here, just getting our bodies right, whether it's with the strength uh, strength uh, staff or the training staff. So ice baths, always staying on top of that, and then you know light days when we need them. But I've been feeling pretty good, and you know 
right now I feel exceptionally good for the last month. So got to uh, string along some games together, despite whether or not I'm feeling good or not. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to you got to be there for your team, right? I just yeah. got to ask, you know, because you've had, uh, you know, that you're the top defensive efficiency in the league, as Ron alluded to earlier. Who's the better defensive player, though, right now in Coach Gallo's zone? Yourself or, uh, you know, freshman Dynamo, uh, Javon Bennett? Or Javon, yeah. Um, <laughs> you you could toss it up. You're, you're still going to get, you know, I think a pretty good defensive player. I mean, Javon at that top of the key, he's been exceptional for us, especially we talk about it, you know, as a freshman coming in. You know, in high school, you're used to playing man, picking up a zone, especially our zone is is kind of hard. So the way he's picked it up quickly has been, you know, extremely phenomenal. And then with me, I think me just keeping that back line intact and keeping everything in front of me. And when things do come my way, be able to play straight up and, uh, you know, get stops. I think that's been really important. But uh, I mean, I got to give it up to Vaughn, especially coming in as a rookie play uh, as a freshman playing all these minutes, I couldn't see myself doing that as a freshman. So I got to give it up to him. He's been, he's been phenomenal as of late. Yeah. Him and Jordan Durkak have really picked up this defense and also Devon Savage has a nice high steal rate. So credit to Joe Gallo and, and you, the veteran and Ziggy Reed as well, kind of getting these freshmen caught up the speed. These newcomers caught up the speed in the zone for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, those, all of our newcomers have been exceptionally well. I think I remember uh, Savage, Devin Savage had, you know, he had a stretch where he was, unbelievable shooting the ball and then Jalen Stinson coming off the bench for us he really gives us that spark too uh being a leader being vocal so you know all four of those guys has been extremely uh, in, uh instrumental and phenomenal for our teams so hey Jordan and Merrimack has had their transition into D1 it's mirrored your career uh but the difference this year is you're going to be playing some March basketball how much more motivation is there for you and your teammates and your coaches knowing that there's like another, there's another carrot that's dangling for you guys? Right. I mean, it's exciting. I mean, coming into the season, I was, you know, telling Ziggy, telling our coaches, wouldn't it be nice uh, to have a game in the Lola rink, you know, with all of our fans coming here for the first time, being in a NEC tournament. So and, you know, those thoughts are always on uh, the back of my mind. But, you know, right now, I think it's more important trying to get there and trying to position ourselves to, you know, be in the best uh, place we can be. And that's first place. So, you know, we got to take care of business and then, you know, we can start getting all excited about that once uh, we win games in the tournament. So, I mean, I'm excited. I think it'd be great for our program and great for the school. So. I got one more question for you, Jordan. Let's talk about some non-basketball things. Uh, you were our Scholar Athlete of the Year in men's basketball last season, near 3.9 GPA. I know you majored in communications, and we've talked about it in the past, some of your interests and goals. I know you're in grad school now majoring or getting your master's in management. When you're yeah. done potentially playing professionally and you hang it all up, what are some of your off-the-court goals uh, moving forward in your career? Um, one of my off the, off the court goals is starting a podcast, you know, got to learn from you guys. You guys are one of the best. So starting a podcast is definitely one of uh, my goals. And then, you know, being able to uh, be in that sports kind of business management uh, kind of industry, I think would be uh, something very key and very um, eye opening for me. But, you know, for me, I think it's just learning um, whatever I do, I think just going in there and being a sponge and absorbing as much as I can. I think that'll be very beneficial for me in whatever avenue I pick in life. So uh, I'm just excited for, you know, life after basketball, hopefully. So that's awesome. Sometimes.
Well, Jordan, it was great talking to you. You are an NEC elite player and an NEC elite student as well. And those that's we couldn't be more proud uh, of you and, and the success you've had at uh, Merrimack. And thanks for taking the time to join Ryan and myself today. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure, as always, always is. All right. That's our that's our NEC open mic. Ryan, let's get to our heat check. We'll start with Wagner's Brandon Brown, the NEC's leading rebounder. He's not a high volume scorer by any stretch, but his impact on Donald Copeland Seahawks this season has been immense. You know, in, in the Saturday victory against FDU, he had 12 points. It's a modest amount, right? But his and one in the final minute to give Wagner lead, that was ice cold. You know, the, the drive, the, the drive left, the spin move, and then to finish through Joe Munden's contact for the and one, that was really impressive. And He's been clutch a number of times this year. I, th I think back off the top of my head, NJIT had a big bucket driving to the hole similar to that, like he did against FDU. And he just does whatever you need him to do on the floor. He's an elite rebounder. He's just a guy who will get that. He'll pick up a charge for you on defense. He'll make the extra pass. He'll shoot the open three. He doesn't have to score. He's got no ego, and he's just a perfect guy for Donald Copeland this year. I love it. I've watched that play five times at the end of the game. It is an amazing move. And you're right. He does all the dirty work for Wagner. Uh, let's move on in the heat in the heat check to Merrimack and Ziggy Reed. Yeah, he's averaging 20 and a half points in the two victories, the past two victories. And he was ultra efficient, you know, 20 of or 14 of 20 from the floor. When he's that efficient, he is difficult to stop. And he's always been a three-level scorer for Joe Gallo. The problem has been efficiency for him, but he's really starting to play well. He typically does that in February. He's a guy at 6'6". Similar to Brandon Brown, he's kind of like a small ball foreman for them. And in the non-conference, you're playing taller opponents. It's a little bit tougher for him to get a shot off. But NEC competition, he matches up really well. And we're really starting to see that now. And uh, he's also been a really good uh, weapon for Joe Gallo late in the shot clock. He's posting a 60% effective field goal percentage in those situations. And he's also good out of timeouts as well. So certainly uh, another key weapon for Merrimack. Let's also shout out to Ziggy for scoring his thousandth point. He joins Jordan Minor on that list. Both of them have done it exclusively now at the Division One level. So great job for Ziggy. And let's move on on our heat check too. We've already talked to him a little about him a little bit, but Bryce Johnson and Sacred Heart has really been a bright spot. Yeah, amid the injuries, without him, Nico Glett and Joey Riley, this team would be nowhere right now. But Johnson's as versatile as they come. He's fourth in the NEC in rebounding. He's also efficient fourth in field goal percentage, has a positive assist to turnover ratio, which is not easy to do if you're a four or five man in the NEC. Dynamic in transition. I mentioned Latina loves him. I mean, Ron, what do you like most about his game? He does a little of everything. I like that he's tough. I like that he's athletic. I like that he can handle the ball a little bit. He's kind of like a little Brandon Brown too. Like he'll do whatever you need him to do to win a ball game. Johnson you know, give Sacred Heart an advantage because he'll get the defensive rebound, which he's very good at. And then he'll just get the transition going on his own. You don't even need him to get going. And that's actually been a real asset with McGuire out because typically you want to outlet to him. But Johnson will just get, get going downhill and he's tough to stop once he's going. But he has the ability. He's got Draymond Green like tendencies where he could find the open shooter or he could break his opponent down off the dribble. And so it's been an advantage for Sacred Heart to get out and transition after uh, Bryce Johnson defensive rebound. While we're at it here, while not a heat check per se, let's also shout out a few players that had some big milestones this week, along with Ziggy Reed scoring his thousandth. FDU's Dimitri Roberts scored his 2000th career point, and that takes into account his time at St. Thomas Aquinas. 2000 points is amazing. I don't care 
where you scored them from. Um, he's been an uh, unbelievable addition this year for FDU. Uh, also, Max Zagorowski from Stonehill scored his thousand point. He also played good portion of his career at Franklin Pierce and then Raheem Solomon on Sacred Heart. And he's got to a thousand between Sacred Heart and Niagara. So congrats to all four of those players for reaching some pretty impressive milestones. As we move into our stat chat, we're going to talk about a team that has been creating some scoring opportunities for themselves. Yeah, one thing that's really important for Tobin Anderson is winning the turnover margin on a game in game out basis and Fairleigh Dickinson is certainly doing that this year in league play. Their offensive turnover rate is first in a league at 16%. They're only getting it. They're only um, committing a turnover on 16% of their possessions, but on defense are getting a turnover on 22.6% of their opponents possessions. That's the widest percentage range in the league. And it's been really impressive. And it's no surprise when Grant Singleton leads all NEC individuals in assist to turnover ratio and Dimitri Roberts is third. You know, that team just does a really good job taking care of the ball. They play fast. It really doesn't matter because they're always in control. They have the best offensive efficiency in the league play by mile. And turnover margin is one big reason for that. Yeah, I think it's a big momentum swinger for them. When you see hit, you know, Grant Singleton will hit a three and then it'll be a turnover into a layup and then a steal into a three. And you get these quick 5-0-6-0-7-0 runs and suddenly they've reversed the momentum of the game or they've padded their lead. Yeah, and something Anderson talked to me in the offseason, he loves those 6-0 runs. They're always striving to do that is get three defensive stops in a row and then score on two or three of those possessions where they get the stops from. And then before you know it, you're up, you know, you're, you're up six, you're up eight, you're up double figures. And then it just kind of snowballs for the opponent. For our games to watch this week, we're going to talk about a pair of TV games and then one of the biggest games on this year's regular season schedule. Let's start on Thursday for our ESPNU game, Sacred Heart playing at St. Francis U. These are two teams right in the middle of the pack, looking to get closer and closer to clinching that quarterfinal round home game. Yeah, Thursday's results going to have big time implications on who can earn at least one home game in the NEC tournament. If you lose this game, you're really falling behind the eight ball and almost have to run the table to get a top three or four seed in, in the league tournament, I think. And DeGaulle Arena has been a house of horrors for Anthony Latina. He's never won a game there, 0-9 in his career. He's lost a couple of heartbreakers. But Sacred Heart kind of needs to shake off the, the Frankie the Friar curse, if you will, <laughs> to get this road win. And uh, even more daunting is the Red Flasher 4-0 in league play at home this year. So um, it'll be interesting. The last matchup between these two is a real defensive battle or offensive struggle, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, if, if Krimmel's team wants to break out of their funk, they really need others other than Josh Cohen to score. Our second TV game this week is on Saturday at 5 p.m. Central Connecticut against FDU. FDU looking this week to potentially move back in the first place. Central looking to move up the ladder. Anytime the Knights are involved, Ron, you know this this year, it's a fun contest. It's going to yep. be a made for TV for sure. But I love the backcourt matchup or the perimeter matchup, have you will. Singleton, Roberts square off against Scantleberry and perimeter wing Kellen Amos. And I've been saying it before, Central Connecticut is a better team than what their record indicates. You know, you kind of look at league play, they sit at four and seven, but they're fourth overall in offensive efficiency and fifth overall in defensive efficiency. So you figure they'd be a winner two better than their current league record. Um, they just have to be more consistent, kind of closing out games. That's been the bugaboo for Pat Sellers group. I'll tell you this, if the season had ended today, I don't want to play Central. I don't want to play St. Francis, Brooklyn. 
if in a quarterfinal game. I mean, they're the talent is there on both teams. Glenn Brake has done an amazing job with this group this year, considering the injuries. And I think Central has the potential to beat anybody. I, you know, I honestly believe, Ron, that there are potentially two or three quarterfinal upsets that we could see road upsets where the, the road team wins and kind of shakes up the seeding and, in, in, you know, when they reseed in the semifinals, it's, it's going to be that kind of nightmare because right now you have St. Francis U, as you mentioned, St. Francis, Brooklyn, Central Connecticut as the lower seeds that would have to go somewhere and yeah, no one wants to play those teams. All right, let's now talk about what I think is one of the marquee games on our schedule. I wanted to pick this at the beginning of the year as the marquee game on the schedule, but here we are in February and Stonehill visiting Merrimack. Stonehill first place eight and three, Merrimack third place seven and four, potentially first place on the line in this one. Two any 10 rivals ready to go head to head. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, geographic rivals now, too. It's going to be a fun one. I'm most interested in kind of Stonehill's perimeter shooting against that Merrimack defense. As we know, that 2-3 zone really extends out. They try to force players off the three-point line, but Stonehill's got a number of guys like Zagorowski, Josh Mack, you know, Shamir Johnson. Um, Sims can do a little that, can really shoot it from the outside. So I'm really curious to see what the shot chart's going to be for Stonehill here, kind of diving into the analytics. But it's going to be a fun one, you know, this is important for, you know, the regular season championship, potentially, you know, Stonehill's trying to stay on top and Merrimack is certainly right there as well. If you can't make it to the games, be sure to watch all your NEC action on NECfrontrow.com and the NEC on the run series of streaming apps. Ryan, that was a jam packed show today. I want to thank Jordan Miner for taking part in our NEC open mic. And I can't wait till next week's show. I think hopefully we'll have some more clarity here and there. But this is a big week of play. After this, there are only two weeks left, and we're at the postseason. Yeah, you think you have it figured out, but then a week happens like this one where you have three sweeps, and then, you know, the, the standings get jumbled. But as you said, you know, a couple of the top teams are kind of jockeying for position now. So hopefully we'll see a little bit more separation, and everything will kind of go into clarity a little bit more, or else you and Craig D'Amico are going to be busy at tiebreakers <laughs> in a couple weeks. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Thanks, fans, for joining us. As always, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week on the NEC On The Run podcast on the NEC Overtime Pod.